Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, mourning a lost colleague. Uh, our colleague Jim Carr just passed away. Members from parties observe a minute of silence and share tributes for the late Jim Carr, a politician and cabinet minister remembered for his decency and his dedication to public service. He's like my parliamentary dad. Somebody that, despite our partisan differences, I've always considered a friend. He really represented decency in this place. Also, a mission to Haiti. We speak to Bob Ray, Canada's ambassador to the United Nations, about his fact-finding mission to the Caribbean country. Is there a role for Canada as Haiti deals with both an economic and a humanitarian crisis? This is Primetime Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Sorabio. The House of Commons adjourned this afternoon, suspending the day's business upon hearing the news of Jim Carr's death. A member of Justin Trudeau's cabinet, Carr is being remembered tonight for more than his sense of public service, but also for his decency and for the way he dealt with all parliamentarians, regardless of position or party. Here now is the Prime Minister. It is with uh, enormous sadness uh, that uh, uh, we heard of the passing of Jim Carr uh, this morning. Um, I knew he'd been sick for a while, but you can't be ready for these kinds of moments. Um, Jim was an extraordinary man. He was incredibly thoughtful and incredibly passionate uh, about this country, about his region, about the community. Um, dedicated to service, dedicated to a better future for all Canadians. He was extremely uh, pleased to be able to get his Green Prairie Economy Bill through the House uh, just last week. Um, he was committed to every corner of this country, uh, contributing to a better future for everyone. And he will be missed as a colleague. He will be missed as a leader. Mostly I'm going to miss him as a friend. His legacy will be one of service, one of thoughtful leadership, one of deep and abiding passion for this country and for its people, uh, along with a real commitment to thoughtful solutions that bring people together. Um, he will be forever missed. Merci tout le monde. Uh, obviously a difficult time, as you knew, Jim, perhaps uh, better than most uh, MPs on the Hill, given the fact that you both represent Winnipeg. Well, in our, our ridings, uh, we're adjacent to, to one another, but uh, we've been friends and colleagues for 35 years. And uh, uh, throughout uh, Jim's uh, varied career, because uh, he, he was a true Renaissance uh, man, a musician, professional musician, uh, a journalist, a business leader, and of course uh, a parliamentary colleague, both uh, an MP and an MLA, and uh, uh, he really made his mark uh, in Manitoba, but also on the entire uh, country. Uh, we've, uh, we've lost uh, just such a valued member of the parliamentary family, but uh, for those of us in, in Manitoba, we've lost uh, you know, a dear friend and a colleague, and uh, uh, he will be dearly missed. 
Now he was diagnosed with myeloma and kidney disease uh, about three years ago. And I think there was a lot of, con obviously a lot of concern at the time, but I think people were also under the impression that he had gotten through the worst of the disease. Did, did the news this morning surprise you? Um, he, um, he's been ill for uh, quite some time and uh, you know it, it certainly was evident to us uh, uh, who've known him for a long time. He was a, a person full of life, full of vigor and he certainly slowed down towards the, uh, the end of his life but uh, let me tell you um, he gave it his all uh, for his private members bill, uh, building a green prairie economy. I was by his side when he gave his final remarks uh, and when it passed uh, the House on, on third reading. And, um, you know, such courage, uh, such passion for uh, uh, the place that uh, we come from, uh, the prairies, uh, uh, a passionate Canadian, uh, but um, even more importantly, a, 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 a passionate uh, prairie advocate. You know, people keep noting the greening of the prairie economy, the bill that to the end he was fighting for, his last great political achievement really. Uh, I think perhaps as a tribute, talk to us about that bill. What, what did he hope would come of it? What was eventually passed? Well, it's a, it's a framework uh, for growing the economy while uh, also uh, uh, keeping the environment uh, in mind. We, we know, and he would certainly say, the environment and the economy uh, go hand in hand. And so uh, we know that uh, we are uh, in, in transition uh, on the prairies. He uh, wanted to make sure that uh, our workers, our farmers, um, our, our business people are at the center uh, of the discussion. Uh, we can uh, grow our prairie economy. We can uh, meet our energy needs. We can meet our agricultural needs. Uh, and we can do that uh, sustainably. And that really was his, uh, his message uh, uh, up until his uh, final speech. And uh, I know that those of us uh, who he leaves behind, we will put our shoulder to the wheel and we will ensure that that, uh, that vision that he promoted uh, comes true. We will work uh, hard on that in his memory. Uh, first, your reaction to the news today that uh, Jim Carr passed earlier this morning. Well, even though we all knew that uh, Jim's uh, been, been ill for quite some time, um, it was still a shock. Um, we all thought we'd see him back here. Uh, we were ex expecting that um, he'd be around for a while. And uh, to have him pass so quickly after just seeing him last week uh, uh, was uh, devastating, to say the least, to everyone in the house. Uh, Jim was uh, a well-liked individual, one of the nicest men I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And I've known him since uh, he was an MLA. Uh, I first got to know him uh, back in around 1989. And I can tell you that, um, you know, he's always had an open door policy. At that time, I was a representative for the cattle industry. And, and uh, even after he got elected and became Minister of Natural Resources here federally, uh, whenever I wanted to have a meeting with him as Manitoba's uh, leading minister, um, he always had a door and uh, a coffee and we could always have a chat. Um, so uh, somebody that I respected, um, not always agreed with, uh, but uh, a gentleman at all times. And so I extend my condolences to Colleen and the entire family and of course the bigger liberal family in Manitoba and across the country because uh, we lost uh, a real champion of democracy and someone who always fought for Manitoba and the prairies. Mm -hmm. 
In terms of crossing over the floor, being able to, to, to have friendships, to be able to, to speak to a colleague such as you who are not part of the same party, talk to us about the tone that he set and the example that he leaves behind for others. Well, I, I think he's always been able to prove, you know, and I think it comes down to his experience as president of Manitoba Business Council, of uh, being able to work with all different parties and all different sectors and being able to bring everybody around a common goal of making things better. And so, um, you know, Jim definitely uh, tried to do that. Um, and de definitely he, he ran into opposition here in o Ottawa, uh, especially from us as, as conservatives and some of his, his initiatives. But I can tell you that um, the because he was always approachable, because he uh, preached everybody with respect, and we always wanted to reciprocate that. And, and you know, I was able to develop a friendship based on that. And when we would fly back and forth uh, from Winnipeg uh, to Ottawa, you know, we'd sit there and we'd talk about our family. And like he was telling me, uh, uh, we're sat together for Truth and Reconciliation Day in, in, in Winnipeg, and how his son Ben was, was helping him out, and how he decided to grow the beard, and, and uh, Ben was helping him uh, keep it uh, looking good by trimming it up for him every week. So, you know, we, we would have those personal stories as well. And so uh, here, here's a, a gentleman that, that's going to be sadly missed by all, but fondly remembered. Uh, I first want to begin with your reaction to the news of Jim Carr's passing. Well, of course, it was a, a big shock. I mean, he has been suffering from medical issues for some time and we knew that was serious but he was so last week he was so upbeat and proud of what he'd accomplished with his private members bill on building a green economy in the prairies and he just looked really good and uh, I had a couple of conversations with him and so to hear this news today uh, was a surprise and a shock and, and a very sad day for all of us. So in all those conversations he never let on how he was feeling in that moment? Uh, he's you know he said his cancer was still there and would be there for months but uh, and would eventually um, you know, be his end, I guess, but he felt uh, that he had some time to to uh, do the work that he was very proud of doing here. He was such a, uh, and I know other people have said this, but he was such a respectful colleague here in the house to everybody that um, I always admired that in him. I was the natural resources critic when he was natural resources minister and we traveled uh, f quite a bit together and he always uh, included me uh, in, in his briefing meetings. He would introduce me in conferences as his friendly critic and you know as a you know we didn't always agree but he was so um, you know he was a real gentleman and someone that I really admired and was so glad to have in this place which can get rancorous at times he was never never that way uh, always brought people in I remember at the generation energy meeting that he organized in Winnipeg people from all over the world he invited many of them to his house one night for a party it turned out to be his birthday party and that's the kind of guy he was he wanted to to be that person that brought people together Obviously, it, it leaves many with these wonderful memories of Jim Carr, but I'm wondering what, what type of gap that leaves behind in the House of Commons when someone who's just so respected for, for being able to be so decent and to cross party lines and to 
treat people respectfully. As to, as to your point, you being his critic, he includes you in the meetings. What, what type of gap does that leave behind, do you think? Well, you know, I think in this age, we need more respect. We need more work across party lines. And Jim just exemplified that to a T. And uh, so losing Jim, you know, is that is a loss. And uh, hopefully we can, you know, we will go on, obviously. And uh, but it, it's just, you know, he was a real, example to everyone on how we we could and should work here and i and i know myself and others uh, did see that in him and learn from from that and so you know i think you know his legacy will be that way of working how we can work together mm -hmm. The Dominican president is the latest person to be adding his voice for an international mission to Haiti. Since the assassination of the Haitian president, Jovenel Moïse, the Caribbean country has descended to a new level of chaos. The country's economy is in a free fall as competing gangs vie for control of the capital and the country. Canada has been approached to lead an international effort in Haiti, and the UN ambassador, Bob Ray, did lead a team to Haiti late last week to see, at at the very least, if the competing parties might come together to talk. Ambassador Bob Ray joins us right now. Ambassador, thank you for being here. You know, there is a lot to discuss, but I was wondering if first you might share how you are feeling tonight and reacting to the news of Jim Carr's death. Well, I, I knew Jim well um, over many, many years uh, before uh, uh, he was in politics at the federal level. Um, I, I, I've known him for years in Winnipeg. Um, a wonderfully decent guy, very thoughtful, one of those people who cared about the country enormously, cared about his community, um, great family guys, those kids and everything. It's, it's, a, it's a very sad moment. I also had a chance to speak to him quite a bit during his, his challenge with, uh, with leukemia. I had a particularly aggressive and difficult uh, treatment that he went through, which was which was very tough, but he saw it through with enormous courage and great determination uh, right up until the very end. He was still going and insisting on on uh, carrying on. Um, but there will be many other aspects of his legacy. Above all, he was a very decent guy, good humored, um, extremely principled, but not stiff about anything. He was he was uh, a delightful company. Uh, and he had many, many friends in all political parties. He, he was a remarkable, great guy. Well, there will be many words shared in, in the many days. His family says uh, that there will be a public memorial to be announced uh, at some point soon. Uh, with that, uh, Ambassador, I do want to move on to Haiti now because you have just led a diplomatic mission to that country uh, looking to see if parties involved would be willing to talk and find a way forward. Uh, who did you meet with? Uh, well, I met with uh, a number of different groups within what I would call broadly civil society. Um, Parliament is not it does not is not sitting and not there. There's there's been no elections for seven years. So there's 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 a huge political vacuum, which is the one of the great problems that's facing the country from a governance standpoint. Uh, so we basically met with as many people as we could on from all sides of the spectrum. Uh, obviously, I met with the the interim prime minister, who's 
who was named to that job at the very end of the what turned out to be the end of the life of uh, of, uh, of the president who was assassinated. And uh, Mr. Henri is determined to do what he promised the prime minister president he would do, which is to to carry on as 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 he needed to. Um, but he's also willing to talk to others, and we've talked to many others, the, the Montana group, uh, younger people, human rights advocates, the business community. Uh, we we covered a wide range of of people and groups. Our ambassador there, Sebastian Carrier, is, do, does a terrific job, and we were really building on his earlier conversations and seeing how we could encourage the parties to um, put a little bit of water in their wine and try to move towards a transition that would then allow for the holding of an election, provided, of course, the other provision has to be dealing with the security situation. So there are a number of things that have to come together, and we're still working on that. Um, I would say I didn't see any breakthroughs, but I did think that people are beginning to get the message more and more because it's being delivered by a number of, of people who are very concerned that the Haitian political leadership has to put put the worst kinds of partisanship aside and ha obviously has to put corruption aside and has to deal directly with each other in saying we've got to create stability and we've got to move to an election. Now the Haitian government, uh, to my understanding, has asked for military intervention to deal with the, with what you're talking about, the, the, the gangs that are right now running much of the country. What do you make of that proposal? Is that something that we might see down the pipes? Uh, I think it's going to take a, a long, well, it's certainly going to take a real strategic conversation, a precise conversation about where we find a consensus in, in Haitian society. Um, I would say that um, nobody that I talk to, uh, including at this point the, 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 the Prime Minister, when, when we encouraged a more detailed conversation of what, what, what anybody would have in mind in that, in that sense, is nobody wants thousands of troops from any, anywhere else. We've done that twice now. We've had major interventions in the past. They have not left a lasting solution. And so why anybody would go back to that well a third time is, is beyond me. What we have to figure out is how can we assist Haitian society and the civil authority in Haiti to to carry out the measures that are going to be required to to take the power away from the gangs. Sanctions was part of it, and our sanctions approach received a huge uh, vote of approval from everybody that we talked to. Mm -hmm. A lot of support for those sanctions. We've also increased our humanitarian assistance, our assistance on the cholera epidemic. We've we've put all that in there, and now we're working, particularly on the security situation and on what on what a a transition could look like. But we're not imposing the transition. That transition has to be decided by the Haitian people themselves. Canada has no favorite candidate for any political office in Haiti. We have no other agenda than to allow the Haitian people to govern themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's that's all we're doing. Uh, quickly running out of time here, Ambassador, but I do want to ask you, because there are Canadians, uh, soon as uh, Antony Blinken was, was in Ottawa talking about Canada taking a lead uh, with doing some type of exploration in Haiti, there are those that have expressed questions as to why Canada should be involved. And perhaps a better way to put that is, what is the fear if the international community does not get involved with Haiti? Well, I think uh, having a country uh, dive into complete chaos is bad for both bad for the people, 
we have a duty to to assist countries that are in this condition, and 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 the the consequences of not doing it are is that things just go from bad to worse, and and that means that the th the threat that uh, of the security threat or the issue of civil chaos spreads elsewhere. The the fact that people won't people won't stay, people will go elsewhere. Certainly, the neighboring country, the Dominican Republic, has been making it clear that th this level of insecurity in their neighborhood is not something they can easily live with. Uh, and we have to understand that we, 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 this is not a country that's far, far away. It's, uh, it's a few hundred miles off the, off the Florida coast. We, we all need to think about how we can help and how we can provide the kind of assistance that will lead to a better future. We're also deeply involved in the Haitian community coming to Canada. We have huge diaspora in our country. We have large ones in the United States and, and elsewhere. Um, there are no little foreign problems anymore. These are all very close to us, and we, we have to make them our own and figure out how to provide constructive ideas in providing a response to what is a critical situation. Ambassador Ray, always appreciate the time. Thank you for this. While political watchers are keeping a very keen eye on the Ontario riding of Mississauga Lakeshore this evening, a by-election is being held there to replace outgoing Liberal Sven Spengemann. And there is a record number 40 candidates vying for the seat. Now, the most high profile includes Charles Sousa, a former Liberal Finance Minister of Ontario, Ron Chinzer, who is a police officer who is running for the Conservative Party, and Julia Cole, who has worked as a provincial constituency assistant who is running for the NDP. So, to talk about the significance of this by-election, we're happy to have back on the program tonight Eric Grenier, political writer, polls analyst, and the mind behind the writ. Uh, Eric, nice to see you. Happy to be here. Now, listen, I, I should put it out there that you and I are speaking right now uh, before the results are actually released. Uh, just to put it out there because people might be seeing this online. But let's begin with significance here, and more specifically here, the, the significance of this by-election for the Conservative Party. This is the first by-election to be held uh, since Pierre Polyev won the Conservative leadership race. Just how important is a win tonight for the party? Well, it's important because it will signify that Pierre Poiliev is able to win the kind of ridings that the Conservatives need to win in order to form a government. The last time the Conservatives won this part of the country was in the 2011 election when Stephen Harper formed a majority government. So it's the kind of riding that you would expect to see in a Conservative government. So I think that is why this is going to be a really important test for Pierre Poiliev. This is his first time that uh, the Conservative Party under his leadership is going to go to the voters. And this is the kind of riding that you know, it ranked 149th on the Conservative list in 2021 in terms of their margin of victory or defeat. And that's where you are if you're going to be, you know, forming a minority government, 149 seats, something like that for the Conservatives. So if they're not able to win this or at least put up a good show, uh, it does suggest that the Conservatives might have some work to do that they haven't actually made that much progress since the last election. Okay. So that is what's on the line for the Conservative Party. Let's talk about the Liberals now because arguably that party has the highest profile candidate in Charles Sousa. What would a win or a loss in this by-election mean for the federal Liberals? The win is what would be expected. This is a Liberal riding. It's been a Liberal riding since 2015. It's stuck with the party in the last two elections when they won a minority government. And they have a good uh, candidate in Charles Sousa, someone who has name recognition that none of the other candidates have. So if the Liberals are able to win this, 
it's what's really expected. And when you're a government that's been in power now for you know approaching eight years or its eighth year, um, there is always going to be some attrition. So if the Liberals are able to still hold on to this and more or less retain the same amount of the vote that they had in the last election, that would be a strong sign for them that you know they can keep going in this direction for a while. If they come up short, if we say that their vote comes down uh, a lot or that they lose the riding, then some serious questions are going to be asked that if the Liberals can't win this riding when they have a good candidate, what does that mean for the state of this government? So there is a lot at stake, and especially for the party that holds the seat. If you hold the seat, you're supposed to keep holding it. Mm -hmm. uh, let's also talk about, uh, as I said, the record number of candidates running uh, in this by-election. There is, of course, the NDP, uh, the People's Party candidate as well, uh, dozens of others, though. How does that affect the final results? Uh, who has most to lose with so many independents running? That is an open question. Uh, this is a record for the number of candidates. There's 40. The previous record was 21. That was in the last federal election in St. Boniface, St. Vital in Manitoba. And this is a protest kind of thing where uh, it's against the Liberals' decision to uh, renege on their electoral reform promises. So it is a little bit of a prank. There's going to be a huge ballot. There's going to be a lot of names on that ballot. And people have to go through all of those independent candidates to find the actual candidate that they might want to vote for. If it's a conservative, Liberals, New Democrats, whatever. Uh, that will be a bit of a challenge for voters, but will it have an actual impact? I'm not sure. I, I would think that most of the people who vote for independent candidates would have done so anyway. The fact that there's so many more choices isn't going to increase the number of people who will vote for those candidates. When we saw what happened in the St. Boniface riding, there wasn't a huge turnout for those independents. They all just split a very small amount of the vote. That's what I'm expecting to happen tonight. But uh, it'll be curious to see if there'll be more spoiled balance, for example, because if you have to choose from 40, I guess there's more of a chance that you might make a mistake. Yeah, in fact, uh, Elections Canada apparently has had to come out with a special uh, ballot with two columns in order to accommodate everybody who's running. Uh, listen, I, I'm also wondering about the, the, the provincial impact on this vote because, you know, of course, uh, Ontario, like all the provinces, are dealing with a health care crisis right now. Ontario, for its part, does have a surplus but is not committed to more funding dollars for health care. Instead, they're asking for more money out of Ottawa, uh, whose share funding is less uh, than a third when it comes to health care. So what kind of bearing does the provincial picture have on a by-election like the one we're watching tonight? I think it does have an impact on support for the Conservatives because uh, we saw this in the last few federal elections where the Conservatives were, you know, we don't know if they were uh, correct or not, but blaming Doug Ford for some of their poor performances in the GTA. And we've already seen some indications of that, that, that they might already be trying to set up what could be disappointing for, uh, results for them there. And since we do have in Ontario and federal politics that balancing act where voters tend to want a different government in Ottawa than they have in Toronto, that would play to the advantage of the Liberals here. So if there are people right now that are upset at the PC government, uh, then voting against the Conservatives might be a way to express that. But Charles Souza as well has some links with the Ontario Liberals, who are not exactly popular either. Uh, so you know, it, it could have an impact going both ways. Well, we are watching very closely. Eric, it was good to speak with you. Thank you for that. All right, thank you. And that's Eric Grenier of The Writ. And that is our program for tonight. I'm Michael Sarabio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. We'll see you again tomorrow.